Welcome to Digital Marketing Happy Hour, a podcast about marketing, technology, and life. This is episode 42. Is live streaming major events a digital marketing game changer? Marketing Happy Hour is brought to you by Araxum, your resource for marketing and technology. For more information, visit araxum.com. That's A-R-A-X-A-M.com. Well, welcome everybody to another edition of Digital Marketing Happy Hour. But of course, what happy hour is complete unless we have a few beverages. Chris, what do you have in front of you today? I am enjoying a Heineken tonight, Ryan, keeping it simple. What about you? Yeah, I am in a uh, a wine mood, a little little Cabernet. It's a Franciscan. Have it occasionally here on uh, Digital Marketing Happy Hour. So that is what's in front of me. Very nice. Well, we have our beverages in hand, so let's get started. He's Ryan Smith. I'm Chris Caselli. Thank you for joining us this week on Digital Marketing Happy Hour. If you're new to our podcast, then welcome. And if you're a repeat listener, thank you. If you continue to find value in this podcast, please kindly. Leave us a review on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Audible, wherever you listen to this podcast. In this episode, we're discussing how live streaming has transformed the viewing experience, especially when it comes to major global events like the Super Bowl. Marketers who are evolving with consumer behavior have found great success in advertising on platforms like OTT, which also stands for over the top, instead of some of the traditional TV commercial during the Super Bowl. While a traditional TV spot commercial exposes your brand to approximately 100 million sets of eyeballs in the USA alone during the Super Bowl, it's still very much a spray and pray approach. Advertising via OTT puts your ad in front of a very specific targeted audience. Now, before we get into the advertising portion of OTT and live streaming, let's take a look at the biggest event of the year that just occurred, Super Bowl 55. So you made a prediction last week, Ryan, that it would end up being one of the most watched events ever because your theory was based on the fact that, you know, a lot of sports bars were closed and a lot of folks would be home. And so they would be, we would have more TVs tuned into it. Turned out that was actually not the case, but there is some interesting data here. So Super Bowl viewership was down to 96.4 million in terms of the total number of of TVs that were, were watching, right? Now, to be clear, while that's down, Compared to last year when you had 102 million viewers, the largest event was the 2015 Super Bowl where you had 114.4 million viewers. 96.4 is still nothing to sneeze at, right? Those are huge numbers, and that will be by far the largest event this year. But what's interesting about it is that while the overall numbers were down, it was the most live streamed NFL contest ever with an average minute audience of 5.7 million viewers. That means on any given minute, there was an average of 5.7 million people watching it. Those are pretty impressive streaming numbers. 
Yeah. You know, it, it, when you peel it back even further, first of all, just to go to your point, you know, clearly uh, I'm not a weather forecaster. And so my prediction, which I thought actually had some pretty good oomph behind it, I thought I would get it, didn't happen. But the streaming part of it did kind of surpass anything that we thought. So that's not a surprise. There really, I came kind of came down to it to think that, again, a lot of sports bars are closed. So more people will be watching in individual homes, maybe less Super Bowl parties. While there were less Super Bowl parties, it's clear by watching some news clips, a lot of people still threw parties. You know, now maybe some of them changed. I saw some actually had more like backyards or front yards, depending on where it was, and had TVs out there. And, you know, try to make it a little bit more eventful. So, you know, I can appreciate people trying to get together. But the fact is, it was down. So it's kind of surprising. And, you know, you and I talked about it. When you look at overall in the U.S. TV markets, Tampa Bay is the 13th largest TV market, which is good. I think anytime you get a top 20 TV market, you're going to have a lot of eyeballs. But the Kansas City is right around 30, give or take one. So that's a big drop off. So, you know, in the past, you've had some large teams, whether you can get your Chicago's in there, you know, now that Los Angeles has a uh, has two teams back and the Rams weren't that long ago, which is two years ago in the Super Bowl, that helps get excitement and get a lot of eyeballs. Um, I was kind of surprised. I thought in this pandemic where everybody is live streaming more that we would have more. So now to go back to that with the live streaming, we did have more live streaming. So looking back, in the 2007 Super Bowl, which was huge for a lot of reasons. And if you recall, this was the Indianapolis Colts versus Chicago. I believe this is the game down in Miami. and It was raining. This also pitted two African-American head coaches uh, that never had one as a head coach before. Now you had two on both teams, Peyton Manning with the Colts, uh, pouring down rain. What's interesting about that, and there was a lot of build up to that. And, and you know, this was for Peyton Manning to get a Super Bowl win. There were 91 million viewers on TV. That's about what we also had in the Super Bowl 55 in Tampa. The big difference, though, was you had an, an additional, you know, nearly 6 million live streaming on any of the services, whether it's YouTube TV, Hulu, whatever it may be that we're doing it. So I think you are seeing an enormous shift that people are cutting the cord. And all of the world, people take their sports extremely serious. And, and that's not just a USA thing. That's everywhere in the world, Europe, India, we all take it very seriously. When you're watching an event like the Super Bowl, you want to make sure that your live streaming isn't going to stall. It's not going to skip. It's not going to crash. And I think to have this many people, you know, watch that, I think this is the faith that people have in live streaming. This is where it's going. I think the pandemic, as we talked about in previous podcasts, really forced us into this digital transformation and live streaming is no different than that. So when we take a step back just from the sports aspect and rooting for our favorite teams or so forth and objectively look at the consumer behavior, I think this is, you know, we're clearly in a shift and, you know, I wouldn't be surprised the growth year over year from last Super Bowl to the Super Bowl was what a 60% increase, something along those lines. I wouldn't be surprised if it doubles that much in a year from now because of so many people switching over, ditching satellite TV, cutting the cord, and really going towards you know live streaming. So we'll see what happens. But uh, so I was wrong on one, but we saw a big lift on the other. 
Yeah, I thought your prediction was pretty sound and it just didn't happen to work out for a whole host of reasons. But I think there's something to be said about the way streaming has improved. It's funny. We're both big baseball fans and we've talked about that on the podcast before. I actually remember the very first year MLB came out with their streaming MLB TV option and I bought it because I was real curious and, you know, my background's in technology and I'm like, oh, this would be great. I can watch games while I'm working. And it was just terrible. It was grainy. The sound would get all modulated. I think I lasted two games before I canceled it. And I'm like, no, thank you. Right. And this year I watched, you know, it was a shortened season, of course, but every game I watched was via MLB TV. It was all streaming. And I cut the cord a couple of years ago. I don't pay for TV subscriptions. And that's a trend that's continuing. So apparently, according to some of the data I'm looking at here that's provided through eMarketer, the peak in pay TV subscriptions happened in 2014. And since that time, since that peak, so that was seven years ago now, right? 23% of households have now cut the cord. And there's a lot of data showing that COVID-19, the pandemic, has actually accelerated the cord cutting trend. Whole host of reasons for that. One is that there are cheaper alternatives now, but you also have some just canceling TV subscriptions because you know they've lost their job or they're out of work and you know can't afford it right now. And so they've decided to do away with TV. But the trend is going to continue. You're going to see more and more people moving towards this. And TV advertising is down. It's going to the e-marketer is saying that it's going to drop to about 60 billion this year, which is still a lot, but that's that's 15% lower than last year or 2019 rather the year before and it's the lowest number since we've seen since 2011. So this is having a significant impact on TV advertising. Now the interesting thing here is that while it is impacting TV advertising, it's not impacting the cable TV providers. And the reason for that is as you can probably imagine is you might not be buying TV services from them, but you're buying your internet services from them. So you're getting them anyway, right? And so the TV or the cable companies are making up their money in another way, but the advertising is going to be impacted drastically here. And you're seeing more of a shift towards streaming, which actually, Ryan, because it's so much more direct in the way that it advertises, maybe that's better. Yeah. And, and people have so many different options right now. And, and we kind of came up with the list of the most popular options that people have to, to stream. So Netflix is, is obviously the, the biggest of, of all of them in the sense of most viewers. They also have the most content. And, and Chris talks about this a lot. You know, they're always coming up with new content. And I think in 2021, was it 52 movies, I believe, in 52 weeks, something like that. So when you think about that, and that's, that's their commitment. That's what they're, they're going to. Now, these sh- shows, if they're coming out in 2021, they weren't produced in 2021. You know, what's interesting is these are things that have been in the works, you know, in 2020, and maybe some of them even far back as late 2019. So this was, some, this was clearly a strategic move that they made you know, probably two years ago, if not even further than that, that this was their goal to have that much new content in movies. So we'll see how it pays off and if it continues to drive, obviously, more eyeballs and subscribers and what happens to the rates. Now, the rates are going up again. So we'll see at what, you know, pace that that continues to go on. Because when you're producing that much content and, and some of their stuff is very highly produced and, and you look at some of these sets and some of the movies and you're like, okay, that, that, that was not a cheap movie to make. So 
something's got to give, you know, you can only produce those so much. And if their subscribers, you know, plateau at some point, something's going to give. So we'll kind of see how that plays out. But then you have obviously Amazon, Hulu, Apple TV, CBS, all access. But now you kind of pause and all of a sudden now you're seeing Paramount's plus is getting ready to, to come out or depending on when you're listening to this, it already is out which is taking in a lot of your CBS favorites. So really Paramount and CBS fall under the umbrella of Viacom. So you're again seeing while you have a bunch of different apps and this is kind of what cable was, you know, a few decades ago where there were so many cable companies and now all of a sudden then slowly there's a bunch of mergers and acquisitions. The same pattern, this industry follows the same patterns all huge corporate America, that's what they do. You get so big and all of a sudden, if you can't beat your competitor, you acquire your competitor. And I think that's what's going to happen. You know, And then we have Peacock, which is obviously NBC, HBO Max with their HBO Now, Disney Plus. And we've already started to see this a little bit. So you can bundle the Disney Plus, Hulu, and ESPN Plus because they're all under the Disney umbrella. So you have that. Then you have... You know, we, we saw the Paramount coming out and, and CBS, they're together. You know, Netflix is its own, Amazon Prime is its own. So it'll be interesting to watch and see how these, and I bet you in the next two years, there's going to be more, more mergers and acquisitions. So what does that mean for everybody else? You know, time will tell. Does that mean you're going to get more content, but you're going to pay more? That's what happened with the cable. Like, think about that. You know, as a kid growing up, there were only three main channels to go to it. And, you know, you, you know, I remember being really, really young and, you know, having to be for my grandparents, there was not a remote control. So if you turn the channel, you had to walk up and turn the channel and whoever the youngest one in the house was, guess what? You're the one when we say, turn the channel to the <laughs> to ABC or NBC, it's the little kid who had to get up and go and turn the channel. So that's how old I am. We talk about that aspects of it, but what happened was all of a sudden, all these acquisitions happened. And then you look at like the 1990s and 2000s. It's like you're getting 500 channels. Didn't Bruce Springsteen write a song about this and nothing's on? And it's just like, we're going to throw all of these channels. You're going to pay a premium for it, but look at everything you're getting. And then when you really think about it, like, yeah, but I watch maybe 12 channels out of the all those you get. And I think it goes back to, it goes to, goes from, you know, the quality to quantity, which we talk a ton of about here on Digital Marketing Happy Hour. You know, you need to care more about the quality and not just the quantity. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see from a streaming service how this goes. Now, as a digital marketer and you're advertising on these, OTT over the top is one of the best ways. Traditional advertising video on a traditional TV commercial, you pick your time slot, you pick your channel, you have an idea or, or broadcast what the demographics are because they've done their research. Especially if it's broadcast, you have you still don't know who is actually watching it. So you have a lot of waste because you're hitting a lot of people, especially if it's not your demographic. Let's say you're selling, you know, HVAC units or you're a realtor or your car dealership, a beer company, whatever it is, and you got kids in the room and you have other people who just don't care about your product because they're not in the market for it. It's just wasted. And it's the whole spray and pray mentality. So I think what's going to happen now is we're going to sort of with OTT, you don't pick the channel. 
So you don't just say, okay, I just want to pick Hulu. You can, but you don't have to. And instead you go saying, okay, I want to target 25 to 34 year olds with a college degree that make 70 household incomes of $75,000 and more. And then all of a sudden you can target those profiles who are watching Hulu and all these others, and you can serve up even local ads to them. So that's at a very simplistic high level of what OTT advertising is. And this is the beginning, I think, of the shift and more people and a lot, not a lot of people are buying into OTT or really familiar with it yet, uh, which kind of surprises me because I think, you know, from a cable versus live streaming versus satellite, this is the way to go. So Chris, we have a lot of options. There's a lot of things that marketers can do, but how do you see, that was my, you know, soapbox, but how do you see this shift going, you know, with consolidation and how consumer behavior will continue to evolve? Yeah, it's interesting. Jeffrey Moore wrote a book many years ago called Crossing the Chasm. And in the book, he talks about the shift in what it takes to have real market penetration with digital products, with technology products, right? And he talks about the early market being the innovators and the early adopters. Innovators making up 2.5% of the market and early adopters, people who will accept sort of a minimum feature set being 13.5% of the market, right? So in total, it's 15% of the market. And these are the people who want the newest things. But a technology product doesn't succeed until it crosses the chasm from the early adopters into the early majority. Early majority needs a whole product solution here. And the early majority makes up 34% with the late majority making up the other 34%. And then you've got laggards who are the remaining 16%. And the laggards are people who basically will continue to buy a rotary phone until they can no longer buy a rotary phone, right? They're not going to make the change until they're forced to make the change. I felt like with streaming that this chasm had been crossed and we were starting to see more of that early majority or sort of that even more of the push into the late majority, right? Because a lot of people have Netflix now. So even if they're not 100% converted to streaming, they've at least started the adoption of these technologies. Well, now with all the fragmentation that you just mentioned, I'm wondering if that's going to delay this because what was so wonderful about Netflix when they initially went, you know, got away from the mail in DVD service and went to streaming was that it consolidated content. So for a very inexpensive fee, you could have access to this huge content library with Netflix. Well, the providers have started to realize now how valuable their content is. And you just mentioned, you know, Paramount is launching their own service. You've got NBC launching Peacock. Disney Plus went live about 18 months ago, a year and a half ago now. As the streaming services begin to fragment, are individuals going to buy multiple services? You know, because then to your point, you're getting back to like the cable packages where it starts to get very expensive. Or are we going to start to see some package deals, right? I think Disney Plus was actually one of the first to do it, where you could get Disney Plus, Hulu, and ESPN for one low price. Or are there going to be some clear winners and losers in this space? There are some services out there like HBO Max that have always been specialized and you pay for the content when you want it and you get rid of it when you don't. And they're fine with their content library as it is and the number of subscribers that they get. But some of the other ones like Netflix and Amazon Prime are going for big market, right? Hulu, YouTube, things like that. So it's going to be interesting to see what the adoption looks like for this. To your point about advertising, it really changes the game. I can tell you, I have two young kids 
And, you know, whereas I grew up watching Saturday morning cartoons on network television, they don't really even understand what commercials are. They've grown up watching Netflix and YouTube for everything. So, you know, when I turn on the baseball game and a commercial comes on, my youngest is like, dad, are you going to fast forward? And I'm like, "I, I can't, buddy, not an option, you know, but this is a generation that's grown up where, you know, whereas we knew celebrities that were stars in movies, they'll tell me about YouTubers that they follow. Right. And so it makes me wonder if you're going to see more of that, and if there isn't this massive opportunity, first of all, we've talked about the importance of influencer marketing. I think that is going to continue to be more important than ever. But even the advertising, even the types of information and content that you're delivering, to your point, it's going to be very, very directed because you're going to have very captured audiences for the types of content that they're watching. Yeah, Chris. And just to add on to that, we come up with a, a, a few stats. I mean, wouldn't be digital marketing happy hour if we didn't have at least one or two stats that we could throw at you. So eMarketer, which is always reliable, 71% right now of U.S. adults consume streaming OTT video. 64% of U.S. consumers fall into the Accord Never, Accord Cutter, or Accord Shaver category. And 74% of those are between 18 and 34. So I think that it's key to remember a cord shaver means you have both. You have some streaming services, maybe on a Roku, but you also could have your sort of traditional cable box also in your home, or you have a satellite dish on your roof. So that's what a cord shaver is. 68% of adults have at least one streaming service subscription versus 65% who have a pay TV subscription. So those are still pretty equal, but again, we're going to see those change as we continue to move forward. And of course, with all that being said, here's an obvious one. Streaming is the fastest growing medium in the history of advertising. And to your Disney Plus, when Disney Plus launched, I believe, it's, as you said, about a year and a half ago. So it was November of 2019, I believe, is when they launched, right at the beginning of it. Their five-year goal, five-year goal, was to have about 50 million, 52 million subscribers. They hit that in their first year. And now they've added, I think, another 50% onto that. And they continue to grow. So just to give you an idea, and let's face it, a lot of people got hurt in this 2020 pandemic and into the early parts of 2021. And a lot of people got rich and a lot of people made money. And while Disney World and Disneyland and the Disney parks around the world suffered immensely, immensely, what helped save Disney was Disney Plus because so many people subscribed and they had so many eyeballs on there. And let's face it, I'm a Disney Plus subscriber, have been since day one. And as an adult, yes, as a father, but also just as an adult, I actually find they have great content. They add a ton of adult content. It's not just kid stuff or little kid stuff anyway. So I was hooked. I mean, I probably would have had it just because of you know having kids. But even if I didn't, I would still own it anyway because I think it's great from the Star Wars to the Marvel comics to just all these other things that they have and they're producing original content. And I think that's the big thing is the, the streaming services that will survive are the ones that are going to produce original content. Don't get me wrong. Peacock having friends is by far helping them out. 
there's no doubt that is that is huge for them. But ha- having them only stream friends is their most popular thing is only going to last so long. And by the way, a big part of that is our millennials who were were being born when friends was out that I find that to be interesting is that they have discovered friends and, and a lot of millennials are watching it. But again, there's going to be a time when they watch all, all the shows and there's no more audience, you know, for that. So, and I think in your marketing, you can take these concepts and apply them to your marketing, which is, you know, you have to produce original content. And here on the podcast, we talk about the written content, the audio content, like a podcast, and then obviously in video. And that is something you have to do at a bare minimum on a weekly basis. So these principles we're talking about from streaming in a way that you can capitalize on them by getting into OTT advertising, but you can also apply them in your own business in marketing your own brand. So that is my one takeaway, Chris. It is for businesses to continue to put their head down, crank out content, be smart about your content. So if you have a video piece, you can put it on YouTube, but you know what? Slice it and dice it and maybe take 15 seconds and, and put it on Instagram or put it on TikTok and, and put it on LinkedIn, depending on where your audience lives on social media. But it's always coming up with new and original content. Yeah, I agree, Ryan. We've said many times, right? The riches are in the niches. If you try to be everything to everyone, you'll be nothing to no one. I think this is a perfect example of that. I think the days of running the big ad spots, I mean, if you're Budweiser or you're Pepsi or Coca-Cola, that's fine. That makes sense because your brand is already so large that if you're just trying to continually perpetuate it, it's fine. But for the rest of us, for the rest of us, small businesses, entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, startups, uh, you're going to have to think big, but think targeted small. Focus on the niches that your audience live in and generate content that's specific to them. And that's really the key of this. Well, that wraps up our live streaming segment. But of course, no podcast episode is complete without Keep It Light. Chris, is there anything you're watching, reading, listening to? Yeah, so I am reading a fantastic book. It is the best book of 2021 so far. Of course, it's only the second book I've read this year, so there's room for others. But Truly, it's called Ask Your Developer, and it's written by Jeff Lawson, who is the CEO of Twilio. You probably don't know of Twilio, but I guarantee you, you've used it, because if you've used Uber Eats and you get that message that says, hey, your food is at the door, or you've had to log into your bank or your credit card, and they text you that six or eight-digit code that you have to plug in before you can actually log into your account, that's Twilio. It's a suite of back office services that are used by developers to make their lives easier. And this book is fantastic. It basically talks about how software developers are the key to 21st century businesses. This actually started with an article written by Mark Andreessen back in 2011, where he proclaimed that software is eating the world. And it's so true, right? If you think of Amazon and your first thought is it's a bookstore, you're missing out because Amazon's biggest business is AWS, their web services division, and Amazon Prime, their streaming services. What is it that Amazon brought to you in the way of books? Well, it gave you a way to find everything, to track the shipments, right? It's the software component of it. There are other companies out there like Square is a great example. Previously, if you wanted to take credit card payments, you had to buy big bulky hardware to plug into a computer, right? And people would swipe the card. And if you wanted to upgrade it, you'd have to get new hardware. Square came out with a little tiny square that you could plug into your iPhone 
where you can swipe payments all day long. And when you want the new version, you just update the software it's running. And that's the premise of this book is how to harness the power of software to win in the 21st century. And it's it's truly fantastic. I'm listening to it on audiobook. The narration is excellent and the stories are truly inspiring. So highly recommend it to anybody that is interested. What about you, Ryan? You watching or listening to anything interesting these days? So this was this was a big week in the Smith household. I mean, you know, from the sports world, uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, in case you haven't heard yet, and Tom Brady had won the Super Bowl. And also Tampa was the first team ever in the NFL history of 55 Super Bowls that not only did they make it to the Super Bowl, but they got to play in their home stadium. And my wife and I were just blessed enough that we got a chance to be one of the 25,000 people in the stadium and, and had a chance to go. So it was just an amazing experience just to see, uh, to go to a Super Bowl and kind of feel how different it is than a regular Sunday afternoon football game. I mean, it really was different, um, you know, both in the good and, and sort of the negative. The negative difference was there was a little bit of a corporate feel to it. It wasn't the same rowdy people that you know are going to be in the end zone and, you know, drunk and their shirts off and yelling and screaming like that component of it was missed, both because it was Super Bowl and because there was only 25,000 people in there. But it was just it was um, amazing from beginning to end. You just you knew, OK, this is a big event. This isn't you know, this isn't just your normal game day. So that part was just amazing. And of course, you know, with Tampa Bay winning and seeing them to do it at home, the first team ever to be crowned a champion at home in the NFL is huge because that can happen in hockey. That can happen in baseball and that can happen in basketball. It's never happened before in football. So not during the NFL, maybe in the old days, the AFL uh, before the merger, that stuff like that could have happened, but it did not happen. So that was uh, amazing when we're still floating here around the, uh, the Smith house, we're, we're very, very excited. So that was the big news. That was the big thing we were watching. And once some pictures, Follow me on Instagram. Go to Ryan Smith FLA, and I took some pictures of inside the stadium. To see that. The other thing, kind of following, it's kind of interesting. And you brought it up. We've talked about it in the past of you know influencer and influencer marketing. So we finally started to watch on Netflix Emily in Paris, which really is it's it's a it's a rom com, and it's it's the combo of a very like Sex in the City light. And combined with the Devil Worst product, like if you put those two together and you set it in Paris, that's kind of what this is about. And actually, Darren Starr, who the creator of Sex and the City, also created this. But what's interesting is Emily is become this social media influencer on Instagram. So you kind of mentioned it during this episode. So for marketers out there who like all of those things and you haven't seen Emily in Paris yet, I'm sure you're going to enjoy it. So. Those are the things that I have uh, been binging uh, this past week. Well, we want to hear from you. If there's something that you disagreed with about OTT and live streaming, let us know. You've let us know in the past. Continue to do so. And of course, if you loved it, please tell us what you like, because we've actually taken your social media uh, sort of requests that you'd like to learn more on, and we've actually applied it to previous episodes. So don't stop doing that. One of the ways you can do that is send us an email. The email address, podcast at araxam.com. That's podcast at A-R-A-X-A-M.com. You can find us on social media, as I mentioned, on Instagram and Twitter. You can hit me up on Ryan Smith FLA. 
And then of course on LinkedIn, just do a Google search or do a LinkedIn search for Ryan Smith marketing. Otherwise, if you just type in Ryan Smith, I'm going to be buried in about 10,000 Ryan Smiths around the world. And you can find me on LinkedIn under my name, Chris Casali, but you can also find me under Araxum and of course, Digital Marketing Happy Hour. And if you haven't done so yet, please subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Audible, or wherever you're listening to this podcast. We hope it will enlighten your day. After all, it is our mom's favorite podcast. Thanks, everyone. Have a great day. Be kind to each other. Thank you for listening to the Digital Marketing Happy Hour. This week's episode is brought to you by Araxum.com, your digital resource for marketing and technology. Visit Araxum at A-R-A-X-A-M.com. The music intro you heard is called Pure Adrenaline by Eddie off the album Too Damn Loud. You can learn more at CactusSlimRecords.com. The music used for closing credits is a song called In My Pocket by Jazzer. You can find it on their album Message. Learn more at BetterWithMusic.com. Thank you for listening.